When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of Morning Combat Extra Credit. I am your host, Luke Thomas. I'm, of course, just one half of the hosting duo for regular Morning Combat, but this is Morning Combat Extra Credit. This is where we get to the fights that we didn't have time for on Big Morning Combat. So, first things first, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe if you're listening on an audio podcast. Do be so kind as to recommend this to a friend or leave us a nice review on the platform on which you are listening to it. Okay, so uh, with this, we're going to do five fights that we're going to get to, then two honorable mention that I'll go over quite quickly. Let me show you the list of the five fights we're going to sink our teeth into. Now, I'm going to do a big 268 edition because we just didn't have a lot of coverage, or we had a lot of coverage, I thought, last week, but you know, we always could have done a little bit more. So I want to focus in on 268 for today's episode. Marlon Vera versus Frankie Yeager will center our conversations. Then we'll talk about the UFC debut of Alex Pereira. We'll talk Bobby Green and his phenomenal win over Al Iaquinta. Uh, Nasordine Imavov beating Edmund Shabazi and what that might mean. And then the debut of Ian Gary as he defeated Jordan Williams. We have two more fights for honorable mention that we'll get to um, as well. Okay. All right. With that in mind, let's begin. First things first, let's talk Frankie Edgar and Chito Vera. Now, what did I see out of this? Um Let's start with the end of the conversation first, because it kind of informs the judgment. There's a question about whether he should retire. And I raised at least the specter of that on social media, trying to be as careful and, you know, considerate as you can about someone who is revered in the fight game and, and has um, done a lot as well. Not merely that people like him, but that he is a major contributor to combat sports and the MMA side of things in the last 11 or 12 years. Um, but to me, there's a, there's a few problems. He's not just losing a lot, uh, which he did not used to do, but he is getting stopped a lot, which did not used to happen. Um, he is tiring more quickly and he has gas tank used to be indefatigable. It's certainly not bad by any stretch. Um, but it's not the same as it used to be. He's a lot slower visibly, um, than he used to be. Folks point out and they're right. They are correct that he can still beat good fighters. Uh, that is absolutely true. By the way, he did not beat Marlon Vera, but he was doing quite well against him for long stretches of that fight. And Chito Vera, to me, is a top 10 bantamweight, uh, maybe even a little higher, depending on one's perspective. Frankie Yeager made a strong account of himself, especially in that first round and even parts of the second to a degree as well. The issue is not whether or not he can beat fighters. He can do that. The issue is at what point 
are we pursuing something where the cost outweighs the benefits? Now, those benefits will change to folks, like not losing your career and hanging on for various other reasons that can keep people lingering. But I'm just trying to point out here something. To me, there needs to be a different and broader conversation around retirement. People usually make it out to be, well, once your physical skills begin to decline and you're losing fights and you can't win anymore, well, then it's time to go. Here's the issue. He has experienced a ton of trauma, a ton, and yet he can still win fights. To me, it's not a question of whether or not he can beat good fighters. So I don't think he can beat championship caliber fighters. I think certainly those days are gone, so he can't beat that kind, which, of course, is all he ever used to be. So even that is a bit of a difference. But, I mean, I just want to go through his record here for just a little bit. First of all, in his last five, he's one in four. Um, he's two and let's see, one, two, three. So he's two and six in his last six, but then he's uh, two and seven. Or excuse me, what am I saying? He's two and four in his last six. He's two and he's uh, two and seven in his last. Uh, what is that? Nine uh, or, or seven? Whatever the fuck the number is. The point being is, yes, he's two and five. Excuse me, he went from two and four to two and five. I keep jumping numbers here. I apologize. You get the idea, though. He's not losing to chumps, but consider Brian Ortega uh, was sort of the first loss that kicked this all off. He lost to Jose Aldo, but um, he went the distance with him. Then he beat Jeremy Stevens, and he beat Yair Rodriguez, right? And he beat he beat him quite quite badly. The, the, Stevens was a interesting fight, but he won that pretty cleanly. Then he loses to Brian Ortega, no big deal, and he rebounds against uh, Cub Swanson. But then he has a decision against Max. Okay. He gets stopped by Chan Sung Jung. So now he's been stopped two in his last four fights at that point. He beats Pedro Munoz. Incredible accomplishment. He gets stopped by Corey, and now he gets stopped by Marlon. So now you have back-to-back -back stoppages. right? And you could say what you want about this one. I thought the stoppage was clean. The last time he had a three-fight losing streak was all the way back in 2012. He lost to Benson Henderson decision. Benson Henderson split decision. And then Jose Aldo. He got beat up in that fight, but he didn't get stopped in a decision win before that Frankie Edgar versus Gray Maynard decision. So now for the first time in his career, he is putting together strings of stoppage losses. Um, when you just add up even those Gray Maynard fights and now these more latter ones, and if you look at his numbers uh, generally, Frankie Edgar, his numbers, strikes absorbed per minute, it's still low based on, I think, some of the earlier parts of his work. But more recently, he's been taking a lot of damage. It only sits at 2.81 for the overall UFC run, which makes sense. Again, he was hard to hit uh, in, in the early portions of his career. That is no longer the case. Listen, I'm not even saying that retirement is uh, a requirement. I don't, I don't, and I'm trying to rhyme. I'm just saying I don't think that that's necessarily what we're looking for here. But to the the suggestion that it should be considered and that it's not far off, I don't see how that is even remotely debatable. Um, yes, Frankie Edgar is so special that even at this very senior stage of his career. He is still competitive in fights where he loses and is capable of beating good fighters. We saw that on August of 2020, beating Pedro Munoz the way that he did, who, by the way, is a strong power puncher, right? It, that is still possible. But to me, there's a question that has to be asked about what happens when the amount of damage one takes is concerning and that splits apart from their ability to win. Usually people think they coincide. Not all the time. Now, as for the fight itself, dude, Chito Vera is quite impressive. He was crediting Jason Perilla with getting him to his striking skills to where he wanted them. I thought that he had been remarkably well-developed under Colin Oyama. I don't know what the differences account for there. But the one thing I wanted to point out was about 
Chito Vera, I thought his guard is phenomenal. And he is weaving in leg up kicks with guard attacks. I'll give you a perfect example. He tried to shove the arm through, pull one through for a triangle, and you saw Frankie Yeager pull his way out of it. But as he pulled out of it, Vera was already ready and had cocked back the heel and then drilled him right in the face with it. Like it was this, it, everything was smoothly integrating leg attacks either from the guard or from as actual strikes. And that should make sense. A guy as lanky who has the kind of guard that Chito Vera does, that ability to wrestle is probably going to have some mechanical transfer over and physical dexterity over to the ability to strike off of your back with your legs. Um, he is quite good at, good at it, both driving blows this way and then heel strikes almost Taekwondo style off the his back and shoulders as he's attacking an opponent over him. He is quite gifted at that, quite nimble. Also, it was pretty clear that they were adopting something of a conservative strategy with that guard in the first round because by the time he was going for subs and then rolling to his base and then standing you just wondered why weren't you doing that in the first round you could have stood up the whole time so it was a good takedown by frankie it was good ground and pound um for the most part not too savage he got his licks in there but again i thought chito vera did a pretty good job in in large part of off balancing him and taking away some of those uh opportunities um, but you know, here's the other part about Frankie that kind of caught my attention. It used to be the case that if he couldn't get the takedown, he couldn't win. The Max fight is a great example of that, right? Um, his striking was very much predicated, as Dean Thomas had indicated, on flurries, footwork, and takedowns. They all kind of have to work in conjunction with the other. They're all built off of one works, then the other one works, and the other one works, and the other one works. And you take that away to take off the leg of the triangle, it doesn't quite work so well. Um, he got the takedown in the first and had some takedown success in the second, and it still didn't matter. He still got finished. See, this is my point. It's like, here's a case where uh, Edgar is credited with uh, three takedowns in the fight. He, he Did he get a takedown in every round? Let's see. I don't think that's right. But uh, And he attempted nine. He got one of the... Yeah. Frankie Edgar got a takedown in every round. He got one of three in the first, one of four in the second, one of two in the third, and still got beat. See, this is what I mean, right? You're, you're losing in ways that were up until a point impossible to... Not impossible, but extremely implausible. If he was able to get the takedown previously and in all three rounds, that almost always meant he could use that on route to, uh, if not a stoppage, certainly a commanding lead. And uh, here he still gets finished. Uh, you saw Chito Vera going up the middle. They wanted some linear attacks for a guy who blitzes. They wanted to square him up. They didn't want to get blitzed at angles. They wanted to kind of stop him in motion a little bit, square him up. And then they wanted to have the linear attacks up the middle because they knew he had to close distance if they could maintain it behind the jab and then on behind that middle kick. And then he was going middle kick, middle kick, middle kick, middle kick. And then finally, he went right up under the chin. It was a beautiful shot. I know Frankie objected to the stoppage. Could have gone a little bit longer, maybe, you know, but I certainly feel like, um, again, within the understanding that every referee is going to have a slightly different strike zone, and I'm borrowing that from baseball for folks who may not understand what I'm talking about there, where every, you know, every referee or every umpire behind home plate is going to see the balls and strikes a little bit differently. Uh, but this is sort of within the realm of defensible action from a referee, which is really all you can ask for. Yeah, I think it's probably fine. I know it's unfortunate, but I do think it's probably okay. So that was my read on this fight. Uh, great, great job by Marlon Vera, who is a talented bantamweight and if not automatically a moment for Edgar to retire right away, I think we all need to begin to wrestle with the fact that 
whenever the end may come, it's probably sooner than you might think, uh, or maybe perhaps it should be, depending on one's perspective there. Uh, okay, second on the list. Let's go to the UFC debut of Alex Pereira. We, we have some stats on this. They're not too effective or meaningful. Two of seven takedowns from Andreas Migalitas, or however you pronounce his last name. Uh, he did what he was supposed to do, but he, he it was weird. Like in some of his takedown positions, he has a head kind of squashed all the way over because he wasn't using it uh, very effectively. Uh, that was kind of a strange thing. He was able to kind of get the takedown. I would call, uh, did they grant him one? Yeah, the two of the seven. I would call the takedown defense of Alex Pereira decent. I'd call it decent. I certainly would not call it bad. That would be incorrect. It might be much more open to... Uh, he, might, he might get taken down a lot more against a more... I mean, you know, Derek Brunson would probably give him some problems maybe if he didn't get knocked out. I, and I do think that Alex Pereira, by the way, is capable of knocking out probably any top 10 or top 5 uh, middleweight if they stand long enough with him. But you get my point. Like, it was good enough for this fight, clearly. Uh, it's probably good enough for another level above it. But I guess the read I'm making is that it still has a little bit of work to do. He did not have do a great job of forcing separation. He was pretty good about using the fence. Uh, his base wasn't really wide enough. Some of the hand fighting and wizarding details got him into a little bit of trouble. So, you know, there's a few more things that I think can be cleaned up or think probably will get cleaned up and um, he'll be able to defend against a higher level opponent. The only issue uh, he runs into is he's 34, right? He's not the youngest guy in the world, but then he comes out and does the, the jumping switch knee and lands it to perfection. I mean, you know, here's really the reality about standing with this guy. It's just, it's just a matter of time before I'm, he's eventually going to get you, even if not necessarily the full on KO or TKO, he'll land something with enough effect where it just has devastating consequences, you know, one, one way or the other. Um, he's got that kind of ability. So this was a, I actually think a really good job by the UFC in matchmaking. Let's get this guy just the right opportunity, just the right, um, you know, this is a, a, let's see exactly where from a very basic level, let's see where his takedown defense is and make some calls accordingly. He passed this test. I'm not going to say barely, but I wouldn't call it with like flying colors in terms of the takedown defense. It was good. It was good enough, um, but definitely some room to improve and definitely needs to make that improvement pretty quickly if it's going to happen for him. Um, there was one sort of note from a commentary perspective. I did hear like Joe Rogan going on and on about Pereira's power. I do think Rogan is right to highlight that he does have tremendous power. He does, but he's got a lot of great setups and he's got a lot of great... Um, tactical approaches that bring that to life it's not just that he's Vanderlei and I don't think Joe was suggesting as much but I just want to be clear yes he's got big power but he's also got great accuracy and timing and clever setups that allows him to land cleanly also a lot of defensive lapses in some of his opponents um, that you think I will go away a little bit as he climbs the ranks of the uh, of the middleweight division but he is powerful but he's a lot more than that just, just want to be clear. Okay, Bobby Green taking on Al Iaquinta. Let me pull this up here for just a second, um, some of my other notes. This was a very interesting result. Um, but this is Bobby Green's, I won't say best performance to date. I don't think that's probably fair, but one of his better ones for sure. So he wins via TKO at 225 of round one. Bobby Green has been an interesting guy, and I'm going to read you his record and show you. 
he has some impressive wins to be sure, but he's also got a few fights where he was in them, but you know, he had a, he made a strong account of himself in a losing effort, like the fight before this one against the Fazayev, similar kind of thing. He was kind of hanging with Fazayev um, and landing. Did he did well, but not enough to win the fight. Although he got fight of the night. Um, he had a war with Lando Venata, but he won that one fight of the night. But he lost to Masarin Duba. He lost to Drakkar Close. By the way, those are all decisions. Um, he had a, a decision loss to Rashid Magomedov. He had a decision loss to Edson Barboza. He did get stopped um, by Dustin Poirier all the way back in 2016. And he's beaten a who's who of names all along the way, uh, from, go, going back to his strike force days. Um, but, you know, listen to the, the, the real wins before this. Clay Guida, Lando Venata, Alain Patrick, Eric Koch. The Josh Thompson one he got, but that was later stage Josh Thompson. James Krause, Jacob Volkman, and so forth. Ali Quinta is up there with, I mean, Josh Thompson's probably the best name on the resume that he's got to win over, but given the time at which he fought him, still impressive. Um, but I don't know. I, I Quinta might be his best win. He legitimately might be his best win because um, Al's been a top five guy in this division. I don't think he's top five at the moment. I know he's been off for a while. I think it was like two years. Let me double check that. Let's see. And then we'll talk about the fight itself. Yeah, he last fought Hooker in, yeah, October of 2019. So he's been off for a really long time. By the way, he's lost four of his last five. The one only has um, Kevin Lee, although one of the other losses was number command off on last minute notice. So more like three in a row, in some, but you get the idea. Okay, um, so Bobby Green has always had these moral victories in fights where he's competitive but kind of loses. This was the first time where I thought you really got a sense of his overall ability. He's got nice wins via decision against some good opponents. But a lot of times it's just by that, by decision, where he has to kind of grind it out a little bit. He has flashes of brilliance. Here he was just in a flow state from the get-go. There was a real difference, it seemed to me. Um, Al was walking into a lot of punches. I think that you had a guy in Bobby Green. You saw Dean Thomas talk about his hands being down, but also his timing to deliver those. Yeah, yes, he couldn't see them, but he was he was throwing them just at the right moment to split Al's timing or just get ahead of any kind of exchange. Um, to, to land at his range before Al could change the equation there. He was just really on point with that. And so you even saw that final one where they talked about it. He had been in one stance. He had kind of gone square and then lunged in from the power side and then went to the jab side, which I think caught Al a little bit by surprise as he was trying to move into that, to that space. Just phenomenal timing. It just shows you when Green is dialed in. He, you can't have a lot of errors about distance closing. Um, again, you know, you got to give Al a little bit of a break here, two years away from the octagon. I know some folks think there's no such thing as ring rust and blah, blah, blah. Again, for some folks, maybe that's true. My general rule is ring rust affects most fighters in most situations most of the time, right? So here's a case where two years off, I think it's entirely understandable that Al didn't necessarily look his best or get going in the way that he needed to. The one thing that I, th I think I sort of took from that was I just didn't see a ton of fainting from Al. I don't know how intentional or not that was. I don't know exactly um, what he saw or what they had game planned around, but it just seems like for a guy like Bobby, who's real slick and his hands are in a certain position, getting him to react first, if at all possible. And again, very easy for me to say that and much harder for someone else to do it, but it does seem like that probably could have helped. Still, Bobby Green, great win by him. He has been long in the tooth in this career. He's been around a long time. And um, that's, you know, some of these guys just improve in their mid to late 30s. How old is Bobby? Bobby currently sits at, yeah, 35. 35 for a lightweight is not young, but we're seeing this is the time where 
some of these guys in the game, they're always good, and they stay good for a while, and they're up and they're down, but they're good. And then you see, like, right around 34, 35, they begin to just turn another corner, and Bobby Green might be one of those guys. Great win by him. All right, so let's get to it. Nasuruddin, Nasuruddin, my friend's dad's name is Nuruddin. I think, by the way, Dean means light in Arabic, and Nasur means um, like like faith, so like light of the faith, something like that. I'm not quite sure how it translates. Imavov taking on Edmund Shabazian. Jesus Christ, Edmund Shabazian's in a bad place. Here is what got me about this fight. Uh, and by the way, the, let me give you the exact reading on the victory. Um, it's 4.42 of the second round. He didn't make it to the third, man. Okay. At range, Edmund Shabazian is a handful. Accurate, powerful, great timing, linear, good footwork. You know, um, he's good. He is he is excellent, actually, at range. So I don't understand why he was at many times accommodating Imavov in close range. And the other thing that just blew my mind was I mean, I get Imavov was trying to put the fight there at times, but then he would reverse and then just accommodate it rather than like, you know, you need to be thinking about getting away at not getting away. You need to be thinking about creating the distance. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That brings your distance striking game to life as a as a must, as a premium, right? Like something in the way that, that Israel Adesanya would do it. He would fight in the in the way in which he was made to, but then if he wasn't made to anymore... He's right back to where he needs to go. And then he just kicks the shit out of people. So I didn't see that instinct, number one. Here was the other problem. His wrestling looked pretty good. Certainly much improved. It was his grappling. I just, I I, I didn't get, listen, you guys know, man, I'm going to cheer for the Armenian guy 10 times out of 10, right? My mother was Armenian. I'm always going to be trying to, uh, you know, it's, it's their success is always going to be important for me, but I don't, he gets to the ground and then just kind of falls apart. I didn't under, I did not see any defensive urgency in the grappling game, which can tell you maybe one of two things or more than this. My two best explanatory hypotheses are one, he got tired. And if you've got gas issues at that point from that kind of a fight, then that's a larger problem. And the other one was he knew he was outmatched there and so realized that there was a futility in overly trying to spaz out and resist, in which case, why is there that much of a gap? Imavov is good on the ground, very good. I don't mean to say that this was something that like anybody could have beaten. Quite the opposite. Maybe he would have won no matter what, but like there was just an ease with which he found mounted crucifix that should not have happened. Now, yes, it's the Kurt Oceander rule well, what are you supposed to do when you're in that position? Well, if you get mounted into a mounted crucifix, you fucked up a long time ago. Like, the, the the way to fix that was not now. It was a long time ago. But there are other ways to get out of it and stuff, right? There's things you can do. But I I didn't understand why he was not didn't have the urgency about range. 
that maximized his game and i did not understand how it just it just collapsed once it went to the mat um unless he could get right back up or he, or it was some kind of wrestling exchange but once he went to his back you know contrast that with chito vero on his back chito vero on his back i mean he had frankie Edgar on his minding his p's and q's right got to be careful about the ground and pound can't get overly extended don't want to cross the center line with your elbow um watch your posture watch out for submission threat watch out for the up kicks on the submission threat like he's he's working and and by the way and recapturing guard like preventing the pass frankie Edgar is a black belt in jiu-jitsu he knows how to pass guard probably really well um contrast that with what you saw here I, it, it was i didn't understand that at all so it's a nice win by imavov like he did everything he was supposed to i thought he looked pretty good for the most part on the feet Shabazi in a little bit better, but then in those tight ranges, he was just getting hit and then not getting back to a, like a really stick and move hardcore kind of game. I don't know. I also have to say, I think they've rattled his confidence. I mean, understand his run has been just the worst kind of run you could get. And here's what I mean. You don't want to get out in front of your skis in the UFC because the bounce back is going to be potentially unmanageable. What I mean to say is you want to get the – like don't – like coaches out there, don't rush your fighters. Don't fucking rush them, man. Don't do it. Golly, because you're going to get in a situation like this. And he is only 23. This is a resolvable situation, you hope, unless they've absolutely ruined his confidence, which I wonder about as well. What sucks about what happened to him, and I was cheerleading it the whole way too, but kind of gave you the heebie-jeebies. He made his UFC – he made his Contender Series debut – after just six fights, it's like at 21, just six fights, like you need a little bit more time, man. That's the first part. part. Then he he has the uh, he has to wrestle his way against Darren Stewart, which was okay, learning experience. Blew away Charles Bird, blew away Jack Marshman. Then they jumped him up to Brad Tavares. Now, Brad Tavares did lose. He loses via head kick in the first round. And you're thinking to yourself, my God, this guy is Shabazi and just can't lose. But then they put him into the portion of the swimming pool that he just cannot handle. Derek Brunson put a beating on him. Jack Hermanson put a beating on him. And now Imovov, who's a good fighter but not up to this level previously, put a beating on him. So he's had three beatings basically in a row. Dude, they got to dial it back big time with him. They, they should start from scratch at this point, as far as I'm concerned. That doesn't mean that every experience he's gotten up to this point is invaluable or, or he can't take that stuff with it. But all I mean to say is, in terms of the difficulty of opponent, dial it way back. If that means unranked, then it means, I mean, I think Imavov may have been unranked. I'm not sure what his ranking was, so don't super dead wrong me. They need to really, really dial that back. I mean, get it way, way, way back. Uh, Otherwise, you're going to ruin this guy's confidence. It's not just the three losses. It's how they've happened. They've been thorough, bad, humiliating. It's time to stop the bleeding. Dial it back, get him a fight he can win, and then slowly rebuild him. Slowly. And I think then you'll be in a better position because it's not to me that I mind that he lost his third. It's that it all just instantly collapsed in situations where it should not happen that way. It should have been much more resistance underneath from him. Um, and then how about lastly, Ian Gary taking on Jordan Williams. Uh, great win by Ian Gary. 
you know, I, I feel bad for Jordan Williams. He loses at 459 of round number one, although he wouldn't have recovered anyway. The bell, the bell cannot save you. Remember that. Um, so he would have lost that one anyway. But still, he was having a ton of success with these wide hooks because Gary, as they pointed out, his hands would drop through combination as he exited, and he was doing a lot of leaning. It wasn't like he was – he was doing some rolling. I want to give him credit. Actually, he was, he was trying. He was doing some rolling. But he was doing a lot of leaning on the escape, so you just keep following it up, and then the next one – kind of lands his face was bleeding he was getting tuned up a little bit i thought he showed some good defensive wrestling um i thought he showed some good that head kick he landed where he was kind of he was baiting by dropping his head low dropping his head low waiting for jordan to uh, williams to come in and then backing up taking a step and then throwing the head kick only reason it didn't really work is maybe quite where it landed also because of that quick step and throw there probably wasn't a whole lot of mustard on it, but that was really, really nice. If he can perfect that a little bit, he's going to tear people up with it. Like he's he's athletic, he's rangy, has a great attitude. So those are all the good parts. And that and that's and by the way, he didn't just step back when Williams was blitzing for the final finish. He stepped back at an angle, right? So he's back and at an and at an angle. And so it was because of that he was able to get on the inside the punch. He split the timing. It was perfect. I mean that was beautiful. Beautiful work from Ian Gary. He should be super proud of himself, but he is young. He himself said it. So with every young prospect, there's going to be good. There's going to be bad. The bad was, obviously, I think you guys can tell, he has some defensive issues that are going to be necessary to work on, and he's in a great camp to get that that done. I'm sure he will. Could be just a matter of time. This is, you know, we're just talking about something. None of these fighters are perfect, and I think for the ones at the beginning of their journey, you're going to see some of their issues a little bit more on display. Definitely some things in the striking department to clean up. Maybe some choices about offense, which 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 weapons to use at certain times, you could argue as well. But you can see his counter punching and his uh, you know absorbing of a tr- of of pressure is going to be formidable. And I think you know he'll have a. He seems like he has the kind of disposition to want to put guys on the back foot anyway. So a ton to like, but he was definitely getting hit a little too much from straight and hooking punches. So there's some there's some defensive issues there. But for a UFC debut, unbelievable finished, flashed some real strengths, yep, along the way. So, so the package is good, but uh, as an overall fighter, but definitely some things to clean up for sure. All right, very quickly. Two pieces of honorable mention, if I can go to it. One, Patchy Mix defeating James Gallagher. Oh, this was a bad loss for Gallagher, man. I, I like the guy a lot. I really do. Um, I, th- I thought his choice to go to Glory MMA and Fitness is and remains the right one. Um, he is beloved in his home country, which you could see. I like the guy a lot. I think he gets a bad rap in the media. And I fear that, you know, listen, he was on a four-fight win streak. Bellator was giving him fights to get back right. You know, at some point, they have to walk through that door as as guys who can beat other good fighters. And he just hasn't quite done that yet. Now, here's the good news. He's 25 years of age. I didn't like a lot of the choices. He was pulling guillotine in the second round and then just didn't really seem to either want or have the ability to get up. Patchy Mix is a phenomenal grappler. Please don't think he was fighting some scrub because he's not fighting in UFC. No, no, no. Patchy Mix is excellent. Uh, but he looked a little languid from the weight cut. Anyway, for James Gallagher, he's 25. He's 25. It's time to go back to the, the lab and just really, really work on skills. Uh, maybe putting on the gi or something. Just getting back to really establishing... Um, 
I, I'm almost say that metaphorically in a way, just getting back to classes, showing up, learning as much as you can. And, you know, it's easy for me, easy for me to say that like, oh, don't take fights, but this is how they make their living. But I'm just saying, you're asking me like what's needed. What's needed is some time in the lab um, and, and opponents that are suitable for him. And uh, I think probably in a couple of years, he can, he can turn a corner, but he's in a space where they want him to headline and he's not ready to beat headlining guys yet it's just it's just the reality at this point um but not forever uh, and by the way great win by patchy mix he, he sat the gates in and did you notice if you look you can see all of the back of the neck of gallagher and you can see uh um the back of his and the base of his skull in fact when patchy mix was sitting for it he was sitting in a way where it was just it was like a jeff glover type where the where the the grip was just around the crown of the head that's a that's a hard that's a special guillotine to pull off and patchy mix did it in the main event that's very very impressive number one and then last thing i would say is um phil hawes and chris curtis phil hawes looked great but then i think got a little bit too confident with the range in which he was throwing and stopped fainting and just walked right into one and that was all it took i feel so happy for chris curtis although you know, it wasn't like he was like shining before, but he was being patient, found his moment, and then he won the fight. So we'll see what happens with him. Great win for him. I feel bad for Phil Hawes because he just can't quite seem to. He's he seems so skilled and so athletic, and yet still gets stopped a lot. And uh, it just shouldn't be that way. Um, I don't I don't know how much more I could say about it than that. But overall, congratulations to all the winners and to all the folks who didn't end up on the winning side. Uh, we still appreciate that you fought, and I'm sure it'll be a better day for you ahead. All right? So that's what we have here on the podcast today. Like the video. Thank you guys so much for watching. Um, what did you like? What was your favorite fight? Leave a comment below. And yeah, I'll see you guys next week for episode eight. And until then, enjoy the fights. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.